Welcome to Songcraft, Spotlight on Songwriters. I'm Paul Duncan. And I'm Scott B. Bomar. Songcraft brings you conversations with and about the men and women who've put pen to paper, hands to keyboards, and fingers to strings to create lyrics and music that stand the test of time. You probably know the names, and you definitely know the songs. We bring you the stories. Keep up with us via Facebook, Twitter, or our website by searching for one word, Songcraft Show. While Songcraft is always free, if you believe in our mission of preserving and presenting these important conversations, we invite you to visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash songcraftshow. There you can help support us with a voluntary monthly pledge that will also give you access to bonus content and other extras as our way of saying thanks for your continued support. You're listening to Beyond, performed by Daft Punk and co-written by our guest on this episode of Songcraft, Paul Williams. The Grammy, Oscar, and Golden Globe winning member of the Songwriters Hall of Fame will join us later in the show to talk about some of his classic songs, including We've Only Just Begun, Rainy Days and Mondays, An Old Fashioned Love Song, Rainbow Connection, and Evergreen, Love Theme from A Star Is Born. Part one. Well, Scott, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, sir. Haven't seen you since the uh, the Christmas episode. I know. How am I looking? You look remarkably similar. Well, thanks. Uh, remember when, like, a new year, like, the the biggest problem you had was remembering to write the new year on your checks? <laughs> yes, I remember that. I haven't written a check in some time. I was about to say, when's the last time you wrote a check? Like, where's your checkbook? <laughs> it's a good question. You know, actually, now I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I might have to write 2019 on, right. but I think I've got time to, like, soak it in. Like, yeah. I don't think right. I'm going to, I don't have to date a lot of things yeah. anymore. Yeah. Well, um, you're married. Ah, good one. Uh, yeah. I'll be here all week. But yeah, 2019, it's a welcome year. I'm glad it's here. Yeah, absolutely. It's always nice to kind of start a new year and, and start afresh. And, uh, you know, New Year, sometimes when you do things like uh, make promises to yourself that you may or may not keep or, right. or you know, uh, another popular New Year activity is looking at the budget. Looking you at know, the budget, like, yeah. yeah, maybe we spent a little more in December than we meant to, so it's time <laughs> to, to get intentional about where our right. dollars are going. Right. And, um you know, the, this is December is the time of year when most organizations ask you for money, right? But we are not most organizations. We're not like that. We're no. not like that. We wait until after people have felt like they've spent too much money and, and they don't want to part with yeah. with their hard earned dollars. And then we say, you know what? It's the first of the year. You're thinking about how you're going to allocate your uh, your money, your your family budget this year, right? And maybe one of the, the things you might be interested in doing is supporting uh, Songcraft via Patreon. Right. So uh, if you're not already familiar with our, our Patreon uh, account and what that is, um, you've probably all heard the public uh, radio drives. Actually, you probably don't hear them when they're doing the pledge drive because that's when you turn the station. Um, <laughs> right. But, you know, public radio does these pledge drives, and it's the kind of thing where you can listen to public radio completely for free, all that you want to. Right. Or if you sort of believe in the mission, believe in what they're doing, you can help uh, support public radio with um, you know, a monthly pledge. And yeah. so we do the same thing through um, a great website called Patreon, which is p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash Songcraft show, and that's an opportunity for you to uh, to get involved to help support the mission of Songcraft, which is preserving these amazing conversations with legendary songwriters. You know, people like Paul Williams, who um, it's important to keep telling their stories. Yep. You know, so that uh, that songwriters and music fans can can be inspired by them. Yep, and it, it's uh, it's one of those you know classic kind of crowdfunding scenarios, and and there are certain tiers, and if you meet a certain tier, then then there are like uh, what what rewards basically yeah, that yeah, you can get. Yeah, you can get some. Uh, you I was going to say some... gifts, but they're rewards. Yeah, they get gifts. some cool stuff. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and I was going to just go through a few of the things that, that if, if you participate through Patreon. Some um, of the things you might be able to yeah. do. So let's say that you just choose to, to join the $2 a month tier, which means surely, all you got to do is... Surely no one gets anything for that, do they? Yes, you do. You get access to things like the autograph book giveaways that we do. Uh, um, you Signed uh, CDs. Yes, signed CDs, things like that. Uh, you get to shoot Scott with a paintball. <laughs> um, Wait, I don't think that's I don't think that's on there. Oh, um, I need to yeah, <laughs> update the yeah. website. Then. Um, um, but yeah, okay. we do have Patreon-only um, contests from time to time, yeah. which limits the pool of the number you're competing with. And uh, so if you're interested in getting some of the signed stuff we give away, it's a great way to do it. Right. Uh, for $5 a month, you get access to bonus audio content that we put on the Patreon site, which is also accessible, by the way. There's a Patreon app that, that you can get. Yeah. Um, and you can get access to bonus audio, things like outtakes, or bits of an interview that we didn't include. Bloopers. You know, bloopers, things like that. Also for $5 a month, you get to sit with us in a tub of baked beans <laughs> for 30 minutes. <laughs> and I think that's another one that, that was maybe just on the ideas list and we, we struck that. So oh. never mind that part. Um, okay. Just the, the baked right. beans is out. Okay. Let's scratch that out then. That, that's <laughs> a bad idea. Bad idea. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Um, for ten dollars a month, you get a personalized shout out on the show, and we've we've done that for yeah. people. I mean, yeah. we, the the proof is there. We've done that. And um, which, by the way, all these tiers that we're talking about, you get everything in the prior tier plus this additional totally thing. Exactly, yeah. these add up, you know. And we will also attend um, your children's graduation, <laughs> so you don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We will attend your child's preschool graduation for you. Um, <laughs> I think we're going to have to make that a much higher level uh, reward. Okay. Uh, so let's scratch that one. $12. <laughs> um, <laughs> for $15 a month, um, you can get a Songcraft sticker. Yeah. Which you can stick anywhere. Anywhere. You, well, not on someone else's property, but you can put that sticker <laughs> right. anywhere you want on your bumper, on your right. guitar case, on your trapper keeper. Right. Uh, you can also get a Songcraft uh, police light to put on top of your car, <laughs> and it's f completely legal. I like how you're just confusing uh, all of our, our listeners <laughs> with all these false uh, fake news. Uh, these are just these are things that I think we should offer. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's an aspirational list yeah. at this point. Yeah. So, um, and, and if you want to sort of brag about your Songcraft listenership, and the sticker maybe isn't quite, uh, quite enough, then you can join as a $20 level member. And actually get a T-shirt. Yeah. Now you still get the sticker too because it's all cumulative. So sticker and T-shirt, that's pretty cool. Right. Uh, we'll also uh, spend some time with you chatting uh, via Google Chat or phone or whatever you'd like to uh, at the twenty dollars level, and you can talk yeah. to us about you know maybe things you'd like to see happen on the show. Um, I think you actually get to appear on the show for a twenty dollars a month membership. I'm cool with that. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I <laughs> hope so because that's the deal. <laughs> No, you actually get to appear for, for a few moments on the show, and you can talk about what you want. Wow. Maybe you're an aspiring songwriter. You want to tell us about it. Maybe you want to tell us about your favorite song. Maybe uh, you want to tell us about your favorite episode. Or, uh, you know, just regale us with some other story, like on Jeopardy, when they yep. say, hey, tell us about Whatever yourself, you and say. they just say a thing. Um, yep. Yeah, you can also, do that. Also, for $20 a month, I will come and bury your pet if it dies. You know, my dog died not too long ago, and... Uh, well, you miss a golden opportunity. <laughs> um, so, the, and the, the final tier is $50 a month. Yes. For the high rollers. That's for the, we have not yet had a $50 a month sponsor. So someone 
Who signs up for that could be the first. They could be a pioneer. And what you're going to get, th- and this is going to sound like a joke, but this is real. Yeah. The reward for $50 a month is if you can get yourself to LA some kind of way, then we'll hang out for a full day. Yeah. You can and, watch us do an interview. Yeah. I'm, come we'll, along with us. We'll take you to lunch. Yeah. You can we see, go to the same taco place we, every week, <laughs> by the way, but you can come there with us. Yeah. Um, you, I mean, you know what? If you do $50 a month, you come hang out with us and we're doing an interview that day. You can participate in the interview. Ask questions. Ask yeah. a couple questions. Like you, you can be for a day, a member of the Songcraft team. The inside elite, thus far only two member Songcraft. No one's circle. ever been allowed. No, never. In there. Yeah. There, I don't even have like a, a, a joke one for that. This no, is, that's just that's That just level's cool. too serious. So, um, so yeah, patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Songcraft Show. We won't talk any more about it today. We'll, we'll talk yeah. about more about or get it the app. for sure. But yeah, get the app too if you're, you know, got a smartphone. I'm pretty sure everybody has a smartphone at this point. Maybe in, in your elite circles. Um, if you don't have a smartphone but you're sitting here listening to a podcast, you're in a strange <laughs> little like technological vacuum for 2019, I'd say. Okay, good point. Part two. Singer, actor, author, recovery advocate, and Songwriters Hall of Famer Paul Williams has penned hits such as We've Only Just Begun, Rainy Days and Mondays, and I Won't Last a Day Without You for The Carpenters, Out in the Country, Family of Man, and An Old Fashioned Love Song for Three Dog Night, and You and Me Against the World for Helen Reddy. Williams is perhaps best known for his movie songs and soundtracks. He earned Academy Award nominations for his musical contributions to Cinderella Liberty, Phantom of the Paradise, Bugsy Malone, and the Muppet movie, which included the now-classic Rainbow Connection. Additionally, he and co-writer Barbara Streisand won an Oscar, a Grammy, and a Golden Globe for Evergreen, Love Theme from A Star is Born. A versatile writer, Williams has found success ranging from pinning the lyrics to the theme song from the Love Boat TV series, to landing a country hit with Diamond Rio's top five single, You're Gone, to collaborating with Daft Punk, who enlisted Paul for Random Access Memories, earning him a Grammy for Album of the Year. His songs have additionally been recorded by Elvis Presley, Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, Ray Charles, David Bowie, Tony Bennett, Willie Nelson, R.E.M., Gladys Knight, Diana Ross, Sarah Vaughn, Curtis Mayfield, Gwen Stefani, Diana Krall, The Dixie Chicks, and others. An actor and pop culture icon, Williams has appeared in the films Battle for the Planet of the Apes, Phantom of the Paradise, Bugsy Malone, the Smokey and the Bandit series, The Rules of Attraction, Baby Driver, and TV shows such as Hawaii Five-0, The Muppet Show, Fantasy Island, Star Trek Voyager, and Goliath. He was a frequent guest on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and has been part of virtually every facet of the entertainment industry. Since 2009, Paul has served as president and chairman of the board of ASCAP, a performing rights organization that advocates for songwriters and collects royalty payments on their behalf. Paul, welcome to Songcraft. Thank you. Thank you. The the title alone makes me uh, just a little nervous because I've never really understood how this damn thing works. Yeah, neither well, do we. <laughs> well, we're all figuring it out. Um, well, yeah. your your website describes you as a, a singer, songwriter, actor, author, and recovery advocate. So you, you wear a lot of hats. But, you know, another one of those hats, of course, is your role as president and chairman of the board of ASCAP. And I actually want to start by, by asking you about the ASCAP Foundation's Paul Williams Loved the Liner Notes Award, because I'm actually a an active liner notes writer myself. And, and it's encouraging to see 
you know, that you're recognizing what, unfortunately, I think is kind of in, in danger of becoming a, a lost art. Um, why is championing that particular kind of writing something that's important to you? You know, I think I have a career because of two things. It was the tiniest font on the, on the, the, the album, but when you, when you put a, a songwriter's name, you know, or information about, about the, 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 you know, the, the music creator, whether it's the singer or the songwriter, but especially for the songwriter. That, I mean, to, you know, one of the high points of my life was opening an Elvis album, and I found, where, you know, where do I go from here? This tiny little font, and underneath it said P. Williams. It was, you know, you, you get a headache from trying to read it. <laughs> the fact is, you, you know, you just don't spring full-blown into getting really, you know, great cuts. You know, you know you, somebody will like something and mention it to somebody else, and when you take away that, you know, the, the, the names, the publishing information, and then to, you know, to, you know, to go to the next step to actually answering your question, which I'll try not to do as often as possible. <laughs> <laughs> but when, you know, a liner note tells you, gives you some sense of, of the collective involved hmm. in, in, in producing the, you know, the piece of music you're listening to. Yeah. And I think that, it, that it's just, you know, I mean, I used to pour through album notes with, you know, from, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, or The Beatles, or, or uh, Delaney and Bonnie and Friends, my favorite act ever that I ever saw live, and I didn't mm. get their first album, except no substitutes. I remember, you know, just going, you know, and if there weren't liner notes, I'd be disappointed. Sure. If it was yeah. just, you know, come on, tell us, you know, who did this? How did you do it? You know, yeah. how yeah. did you get, how did you make it sound like, like a, a, that sound on on uh, on the Beatles Revolver album. How did you make that sound go through my head? Can you <laughs> right. tell me that? And just, and because I was drinking and using at that time, I would have also added, "Does everybody else hear that too?" <laughs> <laughs> right, that's great. <laughs> um, you know, I believe you've been at the helm at ASCAP since uh, 2009. Uh, now that you're a leader in the music industry. If you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of music business advice when you were first starting out as a songwriter, what would you want the younger you to know? I would want him, the younger me to, first of all, you know, uh, make sure that, that the, the gratitude to which it is thrown because mm. what you're going to experience at its best is a gift. Mm. I would also say don't work at a play at it. No, don't squeeze the kitty. You know, I ever have. I don't know if your cat owner is listening, but it's just amazing when a cat comes up and jumps up and, and sticks its head up next to yours and rubs up against you and all. But if you want to watch it disappear quickly, pick it up and give it a big squeeze, and that cat is gone. <laughs> right. I think oh. that the the creative process is is comparable. Uh, I I found, especially in in 1990, I had my last drink. I've been sober for 28 years. Wow. And, one of the big changes in my life was was that I began to apply the principles of my own recovery to the way I wrote. I find that there's a huge amount of writing that is done. Perhaps most of the writing is done by the in the unconscious. What I would say to young songwriters is, if you think about something you want to write, if you come up with a title, if there's a, an area you want to go into, whether it's the Me Too movement, you know, or what it was like watching, you know, going back to your house where you were where you're born, or 20 years later, and finding that there's, instead of the house is there, there's a, a you know a, a Winchell's Donut Shop. <laughs> Whatever you're going to write, don't be afraid to give yourself a couple of days to think about it, because yeah. your unconscious will come up with something that that you might not ever think of with your conscious mind. Huh, that's great. That's great. Um, 
Well, you know, thinking of, of you know, talking about your, your younger self, um, take us back to, to your childhood. What, what kind of music do you remember absorbing in your formative years as a kid that, that made an impression on you? Well, I was, you know, I was born in 1940. I'm 78 years old. I feel like a really tired 34. So it's like <laughs> I, I'm probably as busy and as active and as inspired as I've ever been in my life. So if you're sitting out there and you're listening and you're 61 and you're going, is it too late for me to be a songwriter? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. It's never, never, never too old to create, you know. Yeah. It's interesting because I was I was in high school during the the, the you know the beginning years of rock and roll. I graduated yeah. in 1958. I had I never connected to rock and roll until I was like in my in my 20s, listening to the Beatles, and they took me back to you know to to Chuck Berry. But but when I was a kid, I listened to Sinatra. I listened to I listened to the Great American Songbook. I was one of those little kids, like at four and five, that would stand, walk into a store. My mother turned her back, and I'd say, "I can sing." And you know, it was put me up, put me on a counter, and I'd have you know, she'd come back and find me, and I'd have a bunch of money, and she'd make me give it back and let's get out of here <laughs> before we get arrested. You know, you can't be, you know, you, you keep telling people you can sing. I don't know if it's past life or something, but but I, I was so attracted to it. There was a movie that came out when I was about nine or so called With a Song of My Heart. It was the corniest picture. It starred Susan Hayward, and she played Jane Froman, a woman who sang for the troops, had a wreck, plane wreck during the Second World War. They, they barely saved her leg as she went through operation after operation, and she would go out to sing for the troops, you know, leaning against the piano because she couldn't walk. Hmm. And, it, and my we saw this movie, and we got time to leave, and I wouldn't let my mother leave. I said no. I want to see it again. It just absolutely spoke to me, and I want that's. I mean, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to sing. Wow. My dad was killed when I was thirteen in a car wreck. Alcohol involved. It's a big part of all my whole family story. Hmm. You know, when my dad died, my connection to music I thought just basically disappeared, and all I wanted to do was be an actor. Hmm. And I was in my mid twenties when working on a picture called The Chase with Marlon Brando. A lot of time to go around with. When I picked up a little guitar and, and started doodling, I've been a chronic doodler ever since. <laughs> well, w- one of those doodles uh, became your first appearance on the radar as a songwriter. Uh, it was in collaboration with Biff Rose called Fill Your Heart. Um, that song was then covered by Tiny Tim on the B-side of Tiptoe Through the Tulips. And th- that's hard to say, by the way, Tiptoe <laughs> Through the Tulips. <laughs> it was actually the opposite order. You know, I started writing with him. He came to me and uh, we... we 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 met on a on a TV show and he he so he played me a couple things that that were really wonderful and and what he had written the music and the first the first verse part of uh, Fill Your Heart and asked me to jump in and write it with him yeah it was just it was you know I had no publishing deal and at that point neither did he but but um, we'd written three or four songs uh, and he went to A and M Records and it was it was remarkable because he got a publishing deal. And then told them that you know, okay, there are three or four of these songs that that I wrote the with with Paul Williams who wrote the lyrics and and uh, or certainly most of the lyrics. So I showed up in a, in a stolen car basically and and found a, found a, a career. You know, I wow. showed up as on on as on Biff Rose's uh, shirt tails. I I pulled into to A and M Records, and it's interesting because this, the first the first recording of Fill Your Heart was. Was by by Tiny Tim, produced by by Richard Perry, and no, I didn't get the the rock and roll recording of that song. It wasn't it, it didn't feel like it would ever 
ever make that kind of a leap to, to somebody that was classic rock or whatever. And, right. And, and then you turn around and go, oh, my God, thank you, David Boy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Fill your heart with love today. Don't play the game of time. Things that happened in the past only happened in your mind, only in your mind. Oh, forget your mind and you'll be free. Writing's on the wall. Free. Yeah, and you can know it all. Well, your first appearance on the Billboard Hot 100 came in 1969 with the Monkees recording of Someday, and that's a song that you co-wrote with with Roger Nichols, a co-writer that you've you've written a lot of songs with. Um, tell us how you, you first began, you know, working with Roger and, and kind of the roles that you each played in that um, songwriting partnership. He wrote the music and I wrote the lyrics. You know, I, I arrived at, at A&M Records and the timing again was fortuitous because they were looking for a lyricist for Roger. Roger had been with, with Anne for a while. He recorded with a group called the uh, Small Circle of Friends. Just amazing, but he had, he, he had no regular lyricist. And Chuck Kay was head of Chuck Kay was was head of publishing, and Herb Alpert, you know, of A and M, were seriously looking for a, 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 a lyricist for him. And I went in to kind of go, "Hey, wait a minute, where's my money on on the Fill Your Heart and the song I've written with with Biff?" And right. Chuck Hay took me in and introduced me to Roger Nichols. And uh, Roger gave me a, a cassette of a melody that he'd written. And they said, you know, take it home and see what you think of it, see if it's something you'd like to do. And I came back the next day and I had the finished lyric. I said, it's, uh, I wrote a song, a lyric called It's Hard to Say Goodbye. And with Roger, every song that I wrote, we've only just begun Rainy Days and Mondays, I Won't Last the Day Without You, Let Me Be the One, all the songs that we wrote together. As Roger, who was six foot five, would put it, there's, there's no reason to add a note or detract a note. Just write the <laughs> <laughs> We did what he wanted to do. And he was right, you know, because what I'm, the thing that I discovered that was unique about about my my, my being and my, my creative process is that I hear words in music. If you go, but he's a do da you know, there's a better place for us. I don't know why. I mean, just mm-hmm. it, off, you know, if you sing me anything, I'll hear you know stuff in there, and the trick is then making sense of what I'm hearing. Huh. But I, I hear the, I hear the emotional content of music, and and I and it translates for words for me with Roger. Everything Roger and I wrote was getting recorded. I mean, from day one, we had album cuts. You know, and then those were the times when if you did have a hit, you would you, know, you would get a lot of covers and all. But just right. as as the you know as the the album cuts or the B sides began to pour in, all of a sudden I was you know making a really good living as as a songwriter that nobody outside of the music business knew. You know, I mean, I, w- I was ready to go look for that buy that little place in uh, in Malibu when Someday Man was recorded by the by the the monkeys, but. Uh, you know, there was a really wonderful song called Listen to the Band on the other side that Mike Nesmith wrote. Yeah. And, I, and they basically turned it over and played them both sides. So it was right. never a big hit. The first really big hit was, was We've Only Just Begun. Right. Well, yeah, and I, and I wanted to ask you about that song. I mean, you, you and Roger had a, a lot of success with the Carpenters, and I, I, I happen to love the Carpenters. I, I think those records have a really rare blend of precision and humanity in them together um, they're amazing to listen to and, and that song of course is iconic we've only just begun 
Again, had all the romantic beginnings of a bank commercial. There was a wonderful, wonderful writer named Tony Asher who had been given the, the job to write a song to, to what was basically like a music video. There was no pitch. It just you'd see a couple getting married and, and uh, having just been given the assignment to to write this commercial. Tony Asher went skiing and broke his hand. Oh, broke a hand, the hand that he that he wrote and played piano and guitar with. At any rate, he couldn't do it. So he called Roger and he said, "Maybe I just recommended you guys for this." Wow. And his break was our was our lucky break. Richard Carpenter heard me singing the commercial, and um, and he called and asked if there was a full version of the song. We said, "Yep, there is." <laughs> and if there hadn't if there hadn't been, there would have been exactly. about three hours later. There would have been. But and you know, and then an angel sang it. And there's just you know, I love your description of of the. Uh, you know the quality of, of, of those recordings because she had she had this amazing combination of like an innocence yeah. and a sophistication at the same time. There was just and it was absolute authenticity. Yeah. I think that's probably as important to, to writing and performing as, as anything. It's try to be somebody else. You know, be who you are. And I think it was a nice match for you know us at our dramatic side. She managed to make it sound palpable, sweet. Uh, it was described as vanilla, and as I, I think I said in the Carpenter's documentary, we have a vanilla is an exquisite flavor. Absolutely. <laughs> she was amazing. She was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you guys, of course, also found huge success with the Carpenter's recording of Rainy Days and Mondays, and, and I've read that that was originally pitched to another group before it was maybe even finished being completely written, and I'd, I'd love to hear about the the, the journey that that song took on the way to the, the hit version that we know today. It was a song that, that uh, was almost done when uh, when Chuck Kay heard, heard what we had written. He said, come on, I want you to I want to play this for Bo and Sal, who was producing The Fifth Dimension. And I said, it's not done. I'm, you know, there's the second verse. I, there was one, I wanted to open up the second verse with a line about the blues, but the blues was so overused as a description. I thought, you know, God... You know, I don't know what I'm going to put in there, but I don't want him to just do, mention the blues, whatever. He still figured out on the way over, so we jumped in his car and went to play it for Bones Howe. And on the way over, as a fill line, I wrote, what I've got they used to call the blues, just to just as a as a placeholder. Yeah. And it, and you know what? It, again, it's just, it, you know, sometimes, you know, don't squeeze the kitty, don't work so hard at something. What yeah. I've got they, they used to call the blues is my favorite line in the song. And uh, and you know, and God bless Bones. He liked the song. He said, "But it's just that's not what I'm looking for." Hmm. Uh, but the carpenter wasn't what the carpenters were looking for. And there's there's such depth of just heartache, and and yet it's not it's not a sickeningly sweet heartache. But with what you hear in in uh, in her in her performance is just is beyond description. You just have to hear it. I think. What I've got they used to call. Nothing is really wrong Feeling like I don't belong Walking around 
some kind of lonely cloud Rainy days and Mondays always get me down You, know, you had several hits with uh, Three Dog Night, including Family of Man and, and the 1972 hit uh, An Old Fashioned Love Song. Unlike your previous successes, Old Fashioned Love Song is the first hit that, that I know of credited to you solo with no co-writer. Just an old-fashioned love song Coming down in three-part harmony Just an old-fashioned love song One I'm sure they wrote for you and me I wrote it for the Carpenters. I knew it was perfect for them. I knew that they would love it. And Richard never listened past the first verse. You're like, eh, pick the needle up off the dove. You know, wow. like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> um, and God, there was a, a wonderful producer named Richie Podler. You know, that's the other thing. You you get create you, you create relationships with the people you work with. Hmm. I always tell people to collaborate. If you if you write alone, you know, and you write a song by yourself, and you continue just writing alone. So many of your songs will wind up in a drawer instead of out there. You write with somebody else, you collaborate, and if, if there's two of you in the room, you just doubled your contacts. And I, we did a lot of our demos at, at uh, Americans, American Recording Studios out in the Valley, where Richie Podler was was the owner, and, and uh, he, he wound up producing the the uh, Three Dog Night. Hmm. And I, the first thing they recorded was out in the country, with, with which I wrote with Roger Nichols and... Uh, uh, was thrilled about that, hmm. but Chuck Chuck Hay, the uh, the head of publishing at A and M, was always kind of you know you're all, you you just don't seem to go home. You know, Roger goes home to his girlfriend. I didn't have a girlfriend, and I you know what I had, when it was my little house for that I was their apartment I was living in was certainly no fun. So I'd stay at A and M at my little office there, and whoever walked by too slowly, I'd reach out and grab them and say, <laughs> "You want to ride?" Right. And, uh, so I, I wrote wrote uh, Family of Man with, with uh, a wonderful bass player named Jack Conrad and uh, and somebody who had never, I think, had, had really had a lot of songs recorded at that time or certainly not a hit. And Chuck was like, okay, we'll write with Roger and whatever. Stick to that. And then I wrote with Jack Conrad and he went, oh, screw it. We'll write with whoever you want to. You know, <laughs> right. you know it, songwriting was my social life. And... Uh, and I think it was, it's probably, you know, it was the one home that I really, that I really felt like I was home when I was, when I was writing. It just, it was, uh, I never found a place until many years later that felt as, as absolutely, you know, where I belonged as, as, as music did. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, speaking of just an old-fashioned love song, that was also the name of one of the albums that you recorded as an artist for A&M Records. And um, I actually want to ask you a couple questions about the, the follow-up album, Life Goes On. Um, there's there's a song on that record called Rose that you wrote with your brother, Mentor Williams, who's, who's probably best known for writing Dobie Gray's Drift Away. Um, talk about what kind of musical relationship you had with your brother. It was interesting because we were incredibly competitive until we both got sober. You know, hmm. he was my younger brother. He was a six foot two inch cowboy, the songwriter, and and, <laughs> and uh, so he was my he was my big little brother or my little <laughs> I was his little big brother, however he wanted to do it. But, <laughs> right. but um, you know, I came out to write and, and was doing pretty good at at A uh, and M, and he wanted to be a songwriter too. So he came out. He was writing these kind of rockabilly songs and and really terrific i thought and and he 
made a got him a six month deal with at A and M Records. He got a little office a couple doors down from mine, and for six months he wrote stuff I really liked and nobody would listen to all the way through. And he came and he was so he was up, and his deal was going to be up on Monday. On a Saturday, he went into the office. There was nobody on the lot. It was pouring rain. He sat there and looked at this office, and he thought, you know, I'm losing it. I mean, I, I don't I don't get it. I'm totally confused. I've done my best work, I, you know, trying to write a hit song, and nothing's working. And he picked up a pen, and he wrote, day after day, I'm more confused. Wow. <laughs> and he looked out, he looked out the, the window, and he said, you got to look for the lights or the pouring rain. And it wow. poured out of him. I mean, it just, you know, writing, not not trying to write a hit song, but writing from the center of his chest exactly what he was feeling at that time. Day after day, I'm more confused. Yet I look for the light through the pouring rain. You know that's a game that I hate to lose. I'm feeling the strain Ain't it a shame Oh, give me the beat, boys And free my soul I wanna get lost in your rock and roll And drift away He died, he died in, in November of 2016 And, and uh, maybe a year or so before he died He said, what's your sober birthday? And I said, March 15th, why? He said, no, that's my sober birthday What's your sober birthday? I said March 15th, 1990, and he looked at me and he went, March 15th, 2002. Wow. You know, we had had all that competitive spirit, and but when we uh, when we got sober, and the ego, you know, was was something that they kind of you know disappeared as far as anything between us. It was, yeah, he was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, wow. You know, uh, another song on that Life Goes On album is Where Do I Go From Here, uh, which was later covered by Elvis Presley on his self-titled album in 1973. You you mentioned that when you were talking about seeing your name in the liner notes. I would imagine, as someone who graduated high school in 1958, that, you know, Elvis was looming so large in that time. I mean, it, it must have been kind of surreal to have him cut one of your songs. <laughs> I wanted to race back to my high school and find all the girls that I had crushed on. Here, now will you go out with me? You know? Now will you sleep with me? You know, for God's exactly. sake! No, no, we still won't get away from me. You know? It was it was amazing though, and and you know the the fact is that the timing of, of my career, when I began to have my success, was at the the ends of of some iconic careers. You mentioned Elvis, but it was like Ray Charles and. And uh, Sinatra and, and Ella Fitzgerald and all, all these, you know, amazing, amazing names uh, that uh, they were still, they were still recording. They were getting in the, in the, the they were well into the third act yeah. of their careers. But uh, but that was a, a just a rare lineup of the stars and timing and everything because they were they were cutting uh, they were still recording and I was and I was I mean I even had a a, a, a cub. Bing Crosby recorded We've Only Just Begun. I went, oh, my wow. God, me and Crosby. You know? Yeah, that's amazing. But, so, yeah, but, and and I have to tell you, even more exciting to me is to be my age and, and writing with the guys that I'm writing with these days, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and the, it's interesting that there are a couple things that I've, that I've been working on the last few years that that uh, that are really sprang from from something I did back in the in the mid seventies. I I did a movie that was that even my family didn't watch called Phantom of the Paradise. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the, you know I'm I'm just at the the ending stage of 
writing a musical based on Pan's Labyrinth with, with Guillermo del Toro and Gustavo wow. Santaolalla doing his music, my lyrics, and and it's Guillermo's amazing story. Yeah. Uh, and the re- the reason that I that I wound up in that in that job is is because Guillermo del Toro, I signed his soundtrack album of of Phantom of the Paradise. You know, wow. in Mexico when he was 16 years old. Huh. Daft Punk met on, on uh, at, at the theater where, where Phantom was showing in, in Paris. They saw it 20 times. And then years later, a few years later, they, they reached out and asked me if I wanted to work on an album called uh, Random Access Memories. I yeah. you know, wrote a couple of songs and sang on the album. And, yeah, album of the and, year. Uh, that, w- that worked out really well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. album of the year. Kiss! Suddenly alive, happiness arrive, hunger like a storm. How do I begin? A room within a room, a door behind a door. Touch, where do you lead? I need something more. Tell me what you see, I need something more. That certainly wasn't your first time at the Grammys. Um, <laughs> By a long shot. You know, we, we look back to 1974. You, you got your second Song of the Year Grammy nomination then for You and Me Against the World, uh, which was a top 10 pop hit, number one AC hit for Helen Reddy. Um, you know, many of your hits at that point had been written with Roger Nichols, like we, like we said. This song was co-written with Kenny Asher. Um, just curious, as far as the collaborators you worked with, what 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 made you know these relationships different in terms of you know like what some somebody like Kenny brought to the table? Well, you know what, what one of the things Kenny brought to the table, and the way that, that we started working together is, is is he was he went to England with me to do a, do a television show as as a, a hired musician. I didn't really know Kenny. I mean, mm-hmm. he was playing piano for me. The uh, permits for the band. Uh, never showed up. So all of a sudden, guys that I took with me to, to play on the special had you know, could, you know they had nothing to do. We had you know replacement musicians from England. So Kenny and I spent a lot of time sitting around talking about music. And the fact is that our taste was so aligned. We both had been raised on on the Great American Songbook. And I I told him a story about meeting Harry Nilsson. Huh. And when I met Harry, who I just was I was you know I mean Harry was was. Absolutely, you know, at the time, like my favorite, you know, contemporary songwriter, and and yeah. uh, and I told him so. To which he said, "You know, are you kidding? Come here!" And he took me in the other room, and he played me everything that that uh, Randy Newman had ever written. It was like, now there's a songwriter. You know, <laughs> you know, one of the best parts of doing what we do for a living is you don't have to give up your fan card. So I could stand there just like a total fan of of, of Harry's. And he turns in as a total fan of of Randy. <laughs> right. So Kenny started pounding on the piano, and and uh, and I and I I just started singing with with what he was writing. Do you love me, babe? Do you love me not? Let's decide in the morning, not now. Whoa, you don't like Schumann or Randy Newman? Nelson ain't your cup of tea. <laughs> you think Van Heusen is a shirt worth choosing? And you're still <laughs> undecided about me. Whoa, whoa. Do, anyway, so wrote this little song called. Called Milton sings Newman, and man Kenny, God bless him. He sat there after for just for a few seconds, just thinking. He went, you know, if you opened an album with that, what would be really interesting after that kind of silliness and all and and tribute is to come back to something like. And he played on. He leaned over the piano keys and he went something like, bum 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 bum. 
season and everybody's talking about a star is born um but if we go back to the last time that that uh that film was made you won uh not only uh, an academy award but also a, a golden globe and a grammy for for evergreen which you and barbara streisand of course um collaborated on for for the previous uh film incarnation of a star is born And that was a, a film that not only did you write that song, but you wrote many of the songs in, in that version of the film. And, uh, you know, watching that movie, it's a film where the plot hinges on the songs being great songs. And, and I would imagine as a, as a writer that there's some pressure you know, to come up with something that's really good because the audience is supposed to react to the quality of these great songs. I mean, that's part of the part of the deal. Um, talk about the experience of of working on that soundtrack and and you know just the process of of maybe even the pressure of knowing I have to write something that people think is objectively great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everybody said to me, you know, uh, weren't you like totally intimidated by by writing all these songs for Barbara? And I went, I was totally intimidated by writing songs and write, writing songs for Chris Gustafsson. Yeah, sure. This is yeah. the man that this is the man that wrote, you know, putting on my cleanest dirty shirt, you know, yeah. Yeah. Sunday morning coming down. This is this is uh, this is this iconic genius, you know, and uh, incidentally one of the most down to earth, you know, oh, Paul kind of guy <laughs> right. you know, that you'd ever want to meet in your in your life. And he had, it was just it was the idea of having my words come out of his his mouth was I mean that's that's a lot and that's a gulp moment that's a gulp moment and but but you know the interesting thing is that that most of the songs I wrote with with Kenny Asher uh, Woman in the Moon uh, Watch Closely Now uh, one of my favorites is is uh, with One More Look at You which is is 
the song she found. That was incidentally the song that she called me about writing. Hmm. She had heard you and me against the world, and she said, called me and said, you know, I'd love to love it. There's a there's a, a place in the movie and the star is born where I find a song that was written by John Norman Howard, and he's good at that point. He's gone, but I find him the work tape and all and. Uh, and I'd love for it to be something like you and me against the world. And at the time, Kenny Asher and I were, were had had uh, had been working on on a musical which was never produced on based on Dorothy Parker's life and, and her husband Alan Campbell. So uh, for some reason, when she said I'd like you to write that, I mean, I just thought, you know, I I thought she asked me to write the songs. I mean, I just heard her wrong, you know, with him and. <laughs> So when I showed up at, at her place out in Malibu to, to to meet with her and for the first time and, and John Peters, I, I walked in and I had ideas about where the songs would be about and what the bands would be like, blah, 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 this, blah, 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 that. And they looked at me like I was nuts. And they asked to be excused if I would excuse them for a few minutes. And they came back and when I, I called me back in and said, you know, that's that's not what we ask you. Huh. Ask you to write one song, and I went, okay, I wish, you know, but they, but she said you're not intimidated, and I would probably was totally intimidated, but didn't know it because I was chemically altered at the time. <laughs> right. yeah. Well, your success with A Star Is Born certainly was not your uh, your only experience with the Academy Awards. You had had been nominated for Nice to Be Around um, from Cinderella Liberty, and and you were in nominations for you know, your scores to Phantom of the Paradise and, and Bugsy Malone. But I, I think for people of of our generation, you know, there's always a special place in our hearts for the Muppet movie because that's, you know, something that I, I grew up on and that was right, you know, that came out when I was a kid and um, you earned a, an Oscar nomination for both original score and, and original song for, for Rainbow Connection and, of course, a, a Grammy for Best Children's Album. And the, the music is so integral to that, you know, classic film. Um, tell us how, how that sort of all came together. Well, I went to, to England to work on the... Uh... Now, as a guest on the Muppet first season of the Muppet Show, so I showed up and we just connected with Jim. It was a, it was just there was there was a, you know, there's a line in one of the songs from the Muppet movie that describes the way I, I felt about Jim. Was, there's not a word yet for old friends who just met, uh, but uh, I was asked to write the songs for the Muppet movie. And again, having done it with with the Stars Born with Kenny. Uh, I thought this is please let, let me bring Kenny Asher in to work with 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 me because Kermit deserves a certain elegance of of of, of music that I thought Kenny would be perfect for, hmm. and and I was right. Ted and Jim Henson agreed and all, but it was really interesting that when Kenny and I sat down with when, when we first met and talked about what the movie was going to be about. That, that, that Jerry Jewell was writing a script that it was basically a road movie, how the Muppets all come together, how Kermit gathers his troops and all. Uh, we had a great meeting and, and talked about the very first song, which was Kermit. And I asked Jim, you know, where, you know, where do we find Kermit? He said, in the swamp. I said, what's he doing? He said, playing the banjo. I went, okay, banjo, that's <laughs> such a kind of a tone. But I walked we walked out to uh, I walked out to, to the car, his car. Walked him to his car when he left and, and uh, after the meeting I said, You know, Jim, we won't surprise you with any of this. This is the Muppet movie, this is a big deal. 
So we'll let you hear the songs while we're working on them, while Kenny and I are working on the songs. And he said, oh, Paul, that's that's not necessary. I'll, I'll hear them in the studio when you're recording. Jeez. And wow. it just it's absolutely stunned me. You, wow. know, that, you just don't hear that. That, that kind of trust. Just, you know. Wow. So Kenny and I sat down to write the first song, and then we're looking at, okay, Kermit's in the swamp. He's got air, he's got light, he's got refracted light, he's got rainbows. That's probably the most interesting thing that, you know, and our, our, you know, when we sat down to write the song, we people always ask, you know, what did you set as a, as, as a task, or did, was there any other songs you had in mind? And the one that we thought of immediately was, was When You Wish Upon a Star hmm. in Pinocchio, when when Jiminy Cricket climbs into a window, takes his hat off, looks at the skies and sings, when you wish upon a star. I mean, it's just such an amazing moment. So yeah. that's the bar. That's where the, where we set, set our sights. And we, so Kermit deserves something that good. And, and we started out and totally wrote ourselves in, into a corner in the wrong direction. Uh, uh, why are there so many songs about rainbows and what's on the other side? Rainbows are visions, only illusions. Jesus. I mean, look <laughs> what we've done. We absolutely wrote ourselves into this, you know, kind of a humbug place, you know. <laughs> right. And, and St. Kermit goes, so we've been told and some choose to believe it. I know they're wrong. Wait and see. Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection, mm. the lovers, the dreamers. And me, what he does is at that moment he becomes a member of the audience as well as the, as the guy you're looking on the, on, at on the screen because, you know, everybody sitting in that audience, what you're trying to do is give them that place, take them to that place of hope and belief and trust and, and faith, I guess. Yeah. Wow. And if we had, if, if he approached that as, you know, the, the wise mentor who sings, you know, everything's going to be all right. And, you know, but when you keep him, somebody who's not answering the questions, but asking them, who said that every wish should be heard and answered. You, you, you keep him as part of, of, you put him in the class instead of out, out front as a teacher, and it's the best place to teach from. Why are there so many songs about rainbows and what's on the other side? Rainbows are visions, but only illusions. And rainbows have nothing to hide So we've been told and some choose to believe it I know they're wrong, wait and see Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection The lovers, the dreamers, and me Oddly, it's one of the, the few songs that kind of like touches me on an emotional level. It kind of makes me want to tear up for some reason when I hear it. I don't even know why. Maybe because I associate with childhood or whatever. And but. just so you know, Paul, Scott is an emotional cripple. <laughs> to, to bring this good. out of him. Yeah, is, that's a good point. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. yeah, I don't get real emotional about, about many songs, but uh, that one, uh, it gets me in the feels. So uh. you know, yeah, it it does me too. And it's, it's it, there's something about the song that is that is the rare gift. You know, when you, when you write something that doesn't seem to, to doesn't seem to lose that that response and that emotional response, and I think you got to just hand tons of that to Jim Hansen. Yeah. You know, and he's kind of a total musical spirit. 
Well, you know, I, I feel like a, a theme for as we've talked through your career and all these different things that you've written, you know, the theme is Paul Williams has done some of everything. <laughs> you know, we, we didn't even mention the, the Love Boat theme, um, but we've <laughs> talked about the, these movie songs. We've talked about Elvis and, and David Bowie and Barbara Streisand. And, you know, I, I don't want to miss a chance to talk about your country's success as well. Um, in 1998, the band Diamond Rio had a top five hit with You're Gone, which you wrote with John Vesner. Um, what can you tell us about that one? You know, I, at, at the time when I got sober, I, I felt totally disconnected to to uh, music. I mean, I thought, you know, if I ever fall in love with writing again, I'll start writing again. But in the meantime, all I wanted to do was was well, I went to UCLA and I got my certification as a as a drug and alcohol con- counselor. I spent a year at UCLA, two nights a week, three hours, and and uh, entered what I refer to as, as the Pauli Lama period of my life. You know, <laughs> don't touch the hem and I'll strike you sober. You know, but I got a, a an email from uh, Nashville Songwriters Association International. They do an event down there called Tin Pan Style. Right. And they said, would you come down to Nashville and and uh, We'd like to honor you, and I want to honor a plaque. Wait a minute, but of course, you, know, <laughs> you have a spot on the wall that needs covering, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, so I went to Nashville, and there's something in the water there. There's mm-hmm. something that just, and I also was exposed to some great songwriting. I don't. There's nothing that inspires a, a songwriter. I don't think more than hearing great songs, yeah, and you kind of go, "Oh man!" I mean, imagine what it's like to be finishing a record and hear the new Beatles record, and you go, "Oh my God, <laughs> I got to start over. I want to start over right now because I had no idea it could be this good." And uh, that's kind of what happened in Nashville. And I listened to some of the writers and all of them. This guy, John Vesner, had written Where Have You Been and yeah. some wonderful songs. And I thought, I want to write with this guy. Mm-hmm. So I go to his house. I, I, I ring the doorbell. He comes to the door, opens the little window. There's nobody there, and he leaves. And I was <laughs> like, wait a minute. That's not funny at all. Just how rude, you know. So I pound on the door, and he opens up the door, and he's got this full beard, which, incidentally, the more I think about it, the more I realize he looked like Jim Hansen. Wow. But we walked in, and I thought, oh, man, this guy. And he's from Minnesota, so he only smiles when he has to. <laughs> and I walked in, and I thought, you know what? This is a major mistake. I, but I thought, no, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to just go use, gonna go to his bathroom and pray for guidance. Because mm-hmm. I just realized, God, I just got really scared. Uh-huh. I hadn't done it. And forget about the what, whatever the success was before. This was me sober doing this for the first time with another human being, and I was scared. And I yeah. went into his bathroom. And on the wall of his bathroom, I saw the serenity prayer. Huh. And I went, and the serenity prayer is very important to us in recovery. Sure. And I went running out, and I went, the serenity prayer, are you? And he went, yeah. I said, well, I'm. He said, oh, I know. And I went, <laughs> mommy, you know, pick, pick me up and, and love me. And we just, we became great friends. And, and uh, that day we talked about how we both uh, had, uh, you know, had been led to, you know, to the major change in our lives. And in both cases, it was a young lady that had the courage to say they would not stick with us and loved us too much to watch us die. And so it wound up coming out as the good news is I'm better for the time we spent together. Hmm. The bad news is you're gone. And and it was, uh, you know, it was was just what a way to to come back to songwriting. It took a couple of years to get it recorded. God bless Diamond Rio. They gave us a hit. So welcome back to music, Paul. And I bless the day I met you. And I thank God that he let you lay beside me for a moment that is all. 
If 200 years from now, Paul Williams is only remembered for writing one song, what song would you want it to be if you could choose? You know, I, I don't even need to think about that. I think it's the one that, that, that the people who listen to the music chose already. Hmm. You know, it's either Rainbow Connection or one that I haven't written yet. And, <laughs> you know, the the ones that, I, that we haven't written yet are these beautiful mystery that, that keeps me grateful for every breath and hoping that, that 10 years from now, you know, I, I will still be you know, thrilled to show up at the piano and uh, sit down with, uh, with, uh, with somebody else and, and start chasing those really good ideas. Uh, that there's a few more out there. And what we do is, is I think, holy business. We, we, we get to, we get to write things that open up the hearts of people that, that are emotional, you know, emotionally uh, chained up and, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know, like that. So, uh, so, you know, yeah, rainbow connection. Well, Paul, thank you so much for, for spending some time with us today. This has been a, a really great and inspiring conversation, and uh, thank you for not only your time, but the, the great music that, we, uh, that we've enjoyed for so many years, and it's just been an honor for us. It's an honor for me, and I have to close out by saying that the greatest honor I've ever been given as a songwriter is, is the, the work that I do at ASCAP. Mm. And I, I hope that all of your listeners realize that, that, that there is a, a, an army of dedicated and, and really, really uh, remarkable men and women you know, that, are, that are giving you know, giving their lives essentially to make sure that, that uh, as songwriters we have a chance to be properly compensated, put gas in the car and, and food on the table for our families. Mm-hmm. So to, the, to the, uh, the, the, my co-workers at, at ASCAP, I will dedicate this last hour and tell you that it's been a great pleasure. I really love talking to you guys. Mm, thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. Thanks, as always, for listening and for your support. We'd love to stay connected with you, so please sign up for our email list at songcraftshow.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Again, you can find us by searching for Songcraft Show, all one word. While Songcraft is available to our listeners at no charge, we ask friends like you to consider becoming a Songcraft patron at patreon.com slash songcraftshow. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash songcraftshow. There you can pledge as little as $2 per month to help Songcraft continue its mission of bringing you great interviews with great songwriters. Plus, you'll have the opportunity to access bonus content and get the chance to enjoy unique rewards and experiences as a member. We look forward to getting together again with you for the next episode of Songcraft Spotlight on Songwriters. 